It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome back to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This week, uh, we're going to roll you through a little bit of news, give a little riff on that, highlight the stupid because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we're going to phone a friend. I think you're really going to like this. Uh, Congressman Andy Biggs, who's the chairman of the House Freedom Caucus, is from uh, the 5th District of Arizona. And uh, I look forward to chatting with him, learning a little bit more about his background. But you know what? Let's start with a little riff on the news because I published a op-ed, if you will, opinion piece in on foxnews.com last week. And I want to talk a little bit more about this because I'm one of those geeky guys that actually reads the Inspector General reports. Um, I, most people don't realize this, but uh, our government, our federal government with 2.2 million federal employees, hires 72 different inspectors general. Now, they in turn, go out and hire a bunch of staff. Think of these like internal auditors, but they also have uh, policing powers uh, within the federal employee ranks. They go out, do the research. Uh, They look at the forensics if they can. They will dive deep into the financial analysis. They are the professionals that are quiet behind the scenes. You never know who they are unless they show up at some sort of oversight hearing. But they actually produce reports. And like I said, I'm one of those geeks that actually reads those. Inspector General Michael Horowitz, who has one of the bigger shops out there, he has some nearly 500 people working for him to oversee the employees at the Department of Justice. And they issued a quarterly report, and it was not pretty. Um, It really was not pretty. Because, like I said, for all the inspectors general with the 72, they have like 13,500 different employees. 500 of those are within the Department of Justice. They issue the quarterly report. I go back and I read it. And I'm just struck by the continued examples of where there is misconduct within the ranks of the Department of Justice and specifically the ones I get concerned about are, you know, people that work at the FBI, that work as U.S. attorneys. The problem is when they do something wrong, and it's not just wrong, but to the point that the inspector general goes, and these they're attorneys, these are professionals, they're looking under the hood, it gets to be so bad and so egregious that they recommend prosecution of these people for their alleged criminal um, uh, uh, actions. Now, if it was you or me, or maybe even some other, you know, outside organization, guess what? They're probably going to prosecute you or, or plea you into a deal. But when you go back and you read this report time and time again, you just have to go to page four and five of this latest report from the inspector general. And I'm going to read two paragraphs from what I wrote on foxnews.com. The list of investigations found on pages four and five of the report identified serious misconduct, unwanted sexual contact, serious undisclosed conflicts of interest, inappropriate touching of an intern's breast, and the familiar lack of candor 
aka lying to uh, by a federal employee to the inspector general. These cases all had one thing in common. All were recommended for criminal charges and all resulted in decline to prosecute. And look, this is just the most recent quarter. In one case, an assistant U.S. attorney called an AUSA was investigated for allegations of verbal and sexual harassing of an intern. The investigation found that the AUSA had made sexually suggestive comments to three other individuals, including another assistant U.S. attorney, an FBI forensic analyst, USPIS, which is the Inspector General for the Postal Service, and the result was investigation was presented to for federal prosecution on July 1st, 2019 and declined on February 10th, 2020. And so then it was presented for state prosecution on August 24th, 2020. It was declined the same day. There is a continual pattern of Look, we found something, somebody who was doing something wrong enough that it was criminal in its intent. And within the Department of Justice, if they want to earn our trust, keep our trust, but the trust is dwindling there at the Department of Justice because when they have one of their own that does something wrong and it's recommended for prosecution, they don't prosecute these people. And that is fundamentally wrong. If they want to show us, if they want to prove to us, if they want to demonstrate to us that they really are about putting the rule of law ahead of their own personal interests, then start prosecuting your own. There are scattered examples of it. But when the inspector general time and time and time and time again goes through this process and nobody's prosecuted, it really is frustrating. I'm glad they put out these quarterly reports so we as a public can actually see them. And I'm glad that I read them. So, all right. Time to bring on the stupid. Because there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right, this I saw was a tweet from the FDA. Uh, and when the FDA says, hey, uh, we got something out there, you better pay attention to it. Well, this particular tweet caught my eye. It says, yep, we have to say it. Don't eat cicadas if you're allergic to seafood as these insects share a family relation to shrimp and lobsters who in the world how many people are eating cicadas that it gets to the point that the fda has to actually go out and tweet about it my guess is more than a few and i know we got i don't know how many trillions of these bugs out there but don't eat cicadas i think that's pretty stupid if you're out there eating cicadas all right one of the worst, stupidest quotes i heard out there was from she's a frequent uh a contributor to these types of things, uh, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said, quote, if we want to reduce violent crime, if we want to reduce the number of people in our jails, the answer is to stop building more of them. I'm sorry, but that is just flat out stupid. Stop building the jails, don't do incarceration, then nobody will be incarcerated. How about stop doing the crimes? <laughs> How about let's have law enforcement enforce the law. Let's have people prosecuted. And then guess what? The crime rate will go down. But we're doing it the way she wants to defund the police, not have incarceration, uh, cashless bail. And guess what? The crime rate is 
skyrocketing. If you want to see a fundamental difference between the parties, between Republicans and Democrats, this law and order issue is just right at the top of the list. And for her AOC to suggest, well, let's just stop building prisons. Yeah, that, that'll drive down the crime rate because, you know, criminals will look at that and say, I'm not going to commit that crime. If I commit that crime, I'm not going to have anywhere to be incarcerated. So I better not... Inc- what? That is about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. All right, time for stories from the halls of Congress. And this one is actually a little bit outside the halls of Congress, but it really kind of relates to it. Now, look, I was in Congress eight and a half years, uh, done a lot of television along the way, Fox News contributor. I have literally been on television thousands and thousands of times. And, you know, that happens. You get recognized from time to time. Uh, I also, even before I was in Congress, I traveled quite a bit. Uh, But then once I was in Congress, having to go out and raise money and do my job all around the country and really around the world, you know, I became an ambassador level at Marriott, which means I spent way too many nights in Marriott hotels. I think you have to spend 100 nights in a hotel um, in a year to get to the ambassador level there at Marriott. And then I'm like a diamond million miler. Uh, I think I've I've flown close to 4 million miles. That's just on Delta. That doesn't count United and American and everything else uh, along the way. So, you know, I, I'm a diamond there, ambassador level at Marriott. Uh, I was a member of Congress and uh, obviously now a Fox News contributor. So uh, this is after I, I leave Congress. This is like two years ago. And I was traveling to Des Moines, Iowa. Now, my flight got into Des Moines kind of late. It was cold. It was one of the winter months. I can't remember. But it was cold there in Iowa. So I land at the airport, go get my rental car, get national. I've, like, achieved something there, too. I got some award for it. It's so funny when you get these awards when you travel so much. It's like... Oh, great. Um, Anyway, so I get this this, uh, rental car, and I got to drive, I don't know, as I recall, like 20, 25 minutes to get to the Fairfield Inn, which is a Marriott property uh, outside Des Moines. And when I get there, it's a smaller hotel. It's winter. There aren't a whole lot of people there. So park my car. There's snow and ice on the ground. I grab my bag out of the trunk. It is freezing cold, and I I go up to the to the uh, uh, go in the hotel. Well, when it's late at night, it was it, it seemed like it was a little bit before midnight. It's dark. It's cold. Uh, they don't always have the door open because there's usually only one person working. So I, I ring the little bell and it's time for me to go into there. And the guy comes right to the door, and he can tell that I'm a guest. So he opens the door and he and uh, and uh, I said, "Hi, hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz." He said, "Oh my gosh, I have been so looking forward to meet you." I was, you know, I was getting kind of late. I was, I was hoping you were still coming because I really wanted to meet you. And I, you know, my big swelled head, I'm thinking, all right, all right, here we go. We're going to, we're going to end up talking about Congress or we're going to, maybe you want to talk about Fox News. You know, I get another question about Greg Gutfeld or something. So uh, we go up and he's getting to the gate, to the, uh, to the desk there and he's typing in my name and he said, you know, Gosh, I really wanted to meet you, and I'm thinking, all right, here we go. What's he? What do we want to talk about? And uh, super nice guy, super nice guy. And then he says, you know, I've always wanted to meet an ambassador. And I'm thinking, wait a sec. He has no idea I was in Congress. He has no idea I'm on Fox News. 
He was just impressed that I had spent 100 nights in, in a Marriott. And he thought that was – he said, yeah, I've never met an ambassador before. Not an ambassador to the United Kingdom or France or something like that. An ambassador of the Marriott Corporation frequent, you know, uh, Bonvoy Nights program. And so we talked. He said, what's it take? And I still am laughing because my stupid ego just thought, yeah. We're going to talk about Fox. We're going to talk about Congress. Oh, no. We're talking about the number of nights I stayed at a Marriott hotel. Super nice guy. Got a nice room. Had a great experience. Uh, but a good good shot to my ego. It was, um, put, put me back in my place, and I thought it was pretty funny. So those things happen along the way, too. So um, as an ambassador, let me, uh, let's uh, call Congressman Andy Biggs, 5th uh, District of of Arizona, you know, he's such an impact player. I think I'm fascinated to learn more about his background because a lot of people go to, to the halls of Congress, but they don't immediately have an impact like Congressman Andy Biggs does. So what is it he's doing? What's about his background? Because you look at it, he's like, yeah, he's been an attorney. He's well-educated. He was in the Arizona state legislature. But how is it that he rose to become the Senate president there in Arizona? Why did he become the chairman of the of the uh, 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 the Freedom Caucus there. Um, and I, I'd just like to learn more about his background, and I hope you do too. So let's give Congressman Andy Biggs a call. Hey, Jason. Hey, Congressman Andy Biggs. So glad to chat with you. I um, You know what? Uh, you came into Congress, and I got to know you pretty quickly. And uh, my wife was born and raised in Mesa, Arizona, uh, and her parents and brothers and sisters, all kinds of people still live there. We go there a lot because we love it there. It's a beautiful part of the world. But you're now the congressman from there, and um, boy, you've been an impact player for, uh, since, uh, since day one. Not everybody does what you do. Well, they're they're probably smarter than me, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, you didn't get that memo about a tall poppy. Do you know what a tall poppy is? It's a saying in Australia. Tall poppy is, if you're the tallest poppy growing in the patch, guess what? You're the first to get cut. You're get, <laughs> and I kind of suffered from that, too, because I didn't know that we were supposed to all be bashful and timid and sit on the back row. It looked crowded back there. So I decided to go up to the front of the room and start talking. And uh, I see you doing a lot of the same things. Yeah, you know, and 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 you and I were on judiciary committees together, that, and that's where I first met you. And I I remembered uh, you were a BYU dude, football player type, and uh, so that was that was cool because I was a BYU guy some some years before you because I'm I'm ancient of days, but uh, uh, you know, you you were there too, punching and and fighting, and and there's a lot of people, and you know this, a lot of our friends back there, and they're friends. But they're real content to be in Congress and enjoy yeah. whatever perks they may they think they have in Congress. I, so. I'm probably not supposed to say this, but since I'm not in Congress anymore, I can say it. You don't even have to respond. But I swear to you, every every month I'd go on the floor of the House and I'd look around and I'd think, is that person really in Congress? Like, I don't even know that person. I've never seen that person. That person never even speaks. I, w I will tell you. Um, there was somebody that uh, she's a Democrat, but she was coming in to the floor uh, and I had no idea who she was. And this is when I first got there. And I thought how nice it, it is that, that a member of Congress is bringing a constituent on the floor with them. 
And then so I said, who is that? They, they said, well, that's that's representative so-and-so. And I said, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> no, it's true. I, folks at home listening to this, I'm just telling you, I, I know it maybe sounds crass or something, but there are, I mean, with 435 people, you're uh, you're always looking around thinking, what does that person do all day? Like, what, what do they do? And, and to me, it's yeah. a fight. And look, this is what I want to talk to you about because – You've been an impact player. I mean, you joined the state legislature there in Arizona. You rose up to be the Senate president. Not not everybody does that. Not everybody right at the beginning involves themselves in the Freedom Caucus and says, yeah, I'll take that on and take, talk to all comers. I mean, you've answered just about every question that's ever been thrown at you from all different sides, all kinds of criticism, but it doesn't seem to phase you. Uh, I mean, I read what... Uh, one of the Arizona papers said about you, like, yeah, you know what? He does it in a nice and polite way. Great defender of President Donald Trump along the way. But let's go back. I want to go back to little Andy Biggs, I, the little kid that grew up. And tell us about, I, I want to know why you believe what you believe. And what were those things that formed that conservative backbone that I see in you and Senator Mike Lee and other people like that? Jim Jordan, for instance, absolutely. You know, what is it that was going on when you grew up? Because my guess is you didn't grow up just like everybody else. I, I don't know about that. Um, I, you know, I, was, I grew up in Tucson, and uh, uh, we, we lived on, at that time, it was the edge of the city. So, I mean, it was desert all around my house. I mean, they were, they were, it was in a subdivision that they were just starting to build. And so, as a little kid, I could wander out in the desert. So that was kind of fun, and I, I guess, but I mean, that was, it was cool. I mean, it was, you were out in the middle of nowhere uh, in the desert, a lot of time to think, and even as a little kid. But I mean, the reality is, in my home, uh, it was, my, my, my mom decorated that house in red, white, and blue. And um, all, uh, some of my friends said, what, what is this all about, this red, white, and blue stuff? I said, well, my mom and dad, they love this country, so. What was that? I mean... Not everybody I know flies the flag out in front of our house. I do. Um, sounds like you're – did they take it to the extreme? I mean, was the garage door painted red, white, and blue? I mean, what was going on when you say it was a lot of red, white, and blue? I don't know. I mean, you, you know, it was, it was uh, a, lot of, a lot of patriotic talk, a lot of – I mean, uh, we had uh, pictures of, of – What did your parents do? You know, George what did Washington. What your parents do? Um. My mom was, uh, she was a housewife until uh, the kids were mostly grown. They were in high school. And then she went to work at, at what was then, what became Raytheon. And my dad, uh, the whole time I was a kid and, and growing up, he worked at Raytheon as well as an engineer. So, um, uh, you know, it was the missile factory. It was one of my friends from down there who works at Raytheon calls it the bomb factory. But, I mean, the, the reality is there, there was a, you know, real sense of connection to the country because of, of where they worked as well, as much as anything else. So how many brothers and sisters do you have at this point? Well, I've got, I've got um, a living of, of two, two sisters, two brothers. Now, my two brothers won't claim me, Jason, and, and so we've got to be careful about that. <laughs> they're, they're, yeah, they got a little they, upset kind of at on you. on the liberal side. And... They got a little upset at you. <laughs> I've seen that from time to time. Um, yeah, that's... But so growing up, you, yeah. you, you're, you're there in Tucson, you're going to school. Like, what was your first job? Did your parents make you work or did you just have like, hey, you don't need to work? 
No, no, I, I needed money. So I needed money. So I got a job really uh, probably when I was 13 or 14. Um, this guy uh, put us in con- me and a, a somebody else in contact with this other fellow. We went to, we took our tools with us, a shovel and a rake uh, on the city bus and took the bus over to this, uh, what could only be called a mobile home park. It was kind of just in disarray. It was disheveled and and our job was we, we, were, we were crawling underneath mobile homes, digging out the weeds and trying to clean up that mobile home park. That was my first paying job, really. Uh, and it was uh, probably about 14 years old. Yeah, and, that's, uh, uh, you know, I my first job was I was up in the, actually in Scottsdale. And my dad told me when I was like 13, 14 years old, whatever it was, hey, you got to get a job this summer. And I said, no, I play soccer. And he said, no, you're going to get a job. And and I found this job, and it, I was so excited because it, it said in the little ad that it was going to be done by noon. What I didn't realize is that meant that we started at 4 a.m., and it was an outdoor, like, <laughs> you know, weeding and cutting things and raking things in the summer in Arizona. And that's when I realized I was a white-collar guy. Oh. <laughs> it sounds like you had a similar experience. So you're going along. I, and- I did. It was, it was hot. So you, you, but you took school pretty seriously along the way and uh, decided to pursue law. Now you can pursue a lot of things. Why did you get interested, involved, and engaged in why law? Well, so Jason, if I tell you this, this is this is almost embarrassing to say, but um, when I was getting out of BYU undergrad, um, I said I I really don't know what I want to do. I I kind of wanted to be a Japanese professor. That would have been cool. Uh, I thought maybe going getting an MBA. So I took the GMAT, the GRE, and the LSAT, which are the entrance exams to uh, an MBA school, uh, a, a doctoral degree in Japanese, and also for law. Uh, you know, and I, and I, I did really well on the law law school admission test. I said, well, you know, this must be a sign from heaven. You know, it's fate. I got <laughs> so. Now, why Japanese? Why were you pursuing Japanese? I mean, from Tucson, there aren't a whole lot of Japanese speakers, are there? Yeah, or am no. I, would I be surprised? Well, I went on a mission for my church in Japan and came back and, and uh, did a minor in Japanese. And so I decided I want to do something internationally in, in any one of those deals, right? So international businessmen, international law. And so that's why I said, well, okay. Uh, and so I'll go to law school and become an international lawyer, which I never, well, I shouldn't say I never did. I ultimately did some international legal work, but it took like 20 years after law school to, to get to that point. So, You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Congressman Andy Biggs right after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. You know, these young people who go on missions, they learn a lot. So tell me, go back to that for a second here. And I, I, you're obviously engaged and involved and focused on the, the, you know, sharing the gospel. But what, uh, what else did you really learn that you still, you look back now and think, you know, I really blossomed or I learned. And it really came to be core to me um, during that time. I assume it was 18 months or two years, uh, I should say, uh, out there in Japan. What did, like, what did you really learn? Well, you learn, you learn a lot of life skills and how to, how to 
how to live, number one. But number two, you learn the, the uh, value of other cultures. And that, I mean, there's great, just because things are done differently doesn't mean they're done uh, um, imperfectly or less good. They, they, they just have arrived at a different approach. And they're just wonderful people. I mean, just, you know, there's wonderful people wherever you go. You know, Japan, I've had the chance. I think I've gone five, maybe six times. I love it. Their people are so nice, and it's it really is an amazing place. Yes. Okay, so you come back. You get your law degree. You're practicing law. But you had something happen to you that doesn't always happen to a lot of people. Can you walk us through this? Because <laughs> I still I tell people uh, this story gonna... all the time. I, I tell these people, they're like, no way. That's not possible. Uh, yeah, I knew you were going to get to this, Jason. Sooner oh, or later, course. everybody comes back around to this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll give you the short version. The short version is in my law office, I was, I, you know, you had magazines that you have for people, right? So what we did is uh, I would get these, uh, these sweepstakes deals, right, uh, that you see in mine. This one that we're talking about was not, not Publishers Clearinghouse. This was called American Family, and this had Dick Clark and Ed McMahon were advertising. I didn't know anything about it. I, I would just take them home and my wife would fill them out beautifully and send them in. And so one day I come back from, from court and this lady gets a hold of me and she says, I'm calling to let you know you've won a prize in the sweepstakes. And, and yeah, said, oh, really? right. You know, uh -huh. and, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they, so they send an affidavit. It turns out they have a private investigator investigate me, all of this stuff, you know, and I'm like, this is so weird. I call her up. I said, what is going on? You know, and she says, oh, no, no, you really, you've won a prize. You're going to be very happy, I think, when you find out what you've won. I'm just like, so I told my wife, I think we're going to win like 500 bucks. We'll take the kids over to Disneyland or something like that. It's going to be really good. And then it doesn't come. You know, I'm, waiting, I'm looking for the prize patrol. And this is, contest didn't do a prize patrol. And I'm like, well, it's just, it was just a scam. So you kind of forget about it. And then, then she calls up a few weeks later and says, hey, your prize is coming tomorrow. And I said, oh, okay, sure. So then my wife calls me up the next day. I'm in court again. She calls me up and says, well, we won. I said, well, yeah, they told us we won. What did we win? She said, well, we won the big one. I said, what's the big one? We won the big one. She said, yeah, we won the big one. I said, well, what is it? So she reads me this letter saying, congratulations, you won $10 million. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. I said, oh, Cindy, this has got to be a scam. I said, you want so, $10 million, so, so wire $1,000 to us in Uganda or something? Is that what this was? Exactly. You know, this is the pre-Nigerian prince, but I'm thinking <laughs> you got a prince somewhere, you know? I, I said, well, you know, we, so we live in the suburbs like we do now. And I said, can you, you want to drive on down to court? And, and, and she said, yeah. So she hops into the, the, old, the, the van we have, loads the kids up, drives down. Hits the car. She's so nervous. Hits the car. She's as she's the other car next to her. She's parking the van. She comes to say, "I just hit." The you can afford to hit cars at this point. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know that yet, Jason. We aren't. We aren't convinced. <laughs> no damage done. No damage. Done. I said, "Did you leave a note?" And she says, "Yeah, I left a note." And oh. um, so those people never got in touch with us. But if they would have known. They yeah, they would. <laughs> There's somebody that's still coming after you for hitting their car. That's right, exactly. So, so um, what was it like a cashier's check or what was it? Just a no, no. Yeah, that was was weird. Weird about it too. It was just this letter, and then a small check because they wanted a professional portrait of me. And I'm thinking, well, I'm going to give them a picture before I get the goods. I mean, I, I, what is? 
you know, how's that going to work? You know, I'm pretty cynical about the whole thing. Anyway, um, that night, uh, I, I'm not home that night. I, I, I got some, uh, I, I've got some meetings and, and my wife tells me, she says, you're never going to believe who called tonight. And I said, no, who is it? She says, it was Ed McMahon called. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, Ed McMahon calls from. Yeah. Now, he's Ed McMahon, you got to understand, right? The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Ed McMahon was about as well known in this country as just about anybody and has a really distinctive voice. So I don't think anybody could have faked their way through that one. No, that's exactly right. And, and, uh, and, and the other thing, too, is, you know, he got married and divorced a lot. And he was on a honeymoon with whatever wife number it was in Hawaii. And he was calling from Hawaii. <laughs> so, you knew, you knew it was real. And, um, and then uh, they, they called up and started setting up for me to go do the commercial shoots with him and everything like that. Now, mind you, we still had not received anything other than that portrait check. So we do the commercials and it goes out there and uh, they're airing on, on TV. The commercials are airing on TV. And then finally... They say we're sending the money to you, uh, and 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 and, uh, and I'm thinking I would like it in dollar bills. That would just be kind of fun to just <laughs> one dollar bills, <laughs> one dollar bills. So it's been um, it's been almost 30 years ago, and uh, and it was it was a it was a life changing moment. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it really changed changed what we could do with our with our family and our lives. Well, that's amazing. Okay, so did you get to meet Dick Clark and hang out with Ed McMahon? What were they like? They're both really gracious, nice people. Very nice. And so Ed and Dick came out to do commercial shoot. Two funny things about that. This is in California where we do the shoot. And, and where we're doing it, um, the director says to me, Andy, your smile is crooked. Can you straighten up your smile a little bit? <laughs> See, they've been calling you crooked for a long time, Andy. That's exactly. not just because of your Congress. Yeah, well, Ed McMahon standing next to me says, Sheesh, can you believe that guy? <laughs> <laughs> she's trying to get. Ed McMahon kind of goes off on this guy. And of course, the director can hear Ed and he says, Your smile's fine, Andy. Your smile's yeah. fine. And then, the, and then we're there with the. Uh, they, they do this catering thing in the backyard of this house we're filming at. And. Uh, they, it's couscous and, and whatever else, you know, it's a Mediterranean lunch. And Dick Clark gets some couscous down the wrong pipe, man. And he's choking on this couscous. And everybody's over there trying to give him the Heimlich or do whatever they can to, <laughs> to keep Dick Clark going. And, and, and finally, he's okay. And, and he's just, he was gracious about it. He just laughed about that. And, uh, I mean, these were nice people. They're very nice guys, Dick and, Dick and Ed. Well, so. when they hand you $10 million, you better say they're nice. That's pretty good. So, no, I bet yeah. they are. They had solid reputations of just being – I think that's why America loved them. They were just good, happy people, and people trusted them. Yeah. And, yeah, and and but that is amazing. I don't know what the odds are of winning that, but somebody had to win it. And, uh, I, it you was, know. Odds, odds are, Jason, um, it was like one in 500 million. One in wow. 500 million. Wow, that that's pretty stunning. Oh yeah, we yeah yeah. The other thing to understand about that, we were alternates. Whoever actually won failed to return their number. So so what happens? Is, so you you weren't the actual. You were the you were the the alternate. Yeah. So they have to award the prize. Um, so what they did is whoever actually had the winning number because they have to choose those before they send them out. They didn't return that number. So then they go through everybody who's returned their numbers. 
goes through a computer and then spits it out, and that that was us. Oh my god! <laughs> All right, that's, so that's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's why it's really wild. All right, so now you got some money, uh, at least some continual money coming in. You've practicing law, but what? Why run for office? What was the what was the thing that said, hey, you know, honey, I think what we should do is I think I should run for political office. <laughs> what well, happened? We, so, so what happened, Jason, is I, my, my mom and dad, they were kind of grassroots activists in, the, in Republican politics in Tucson. And, and my wife's family were, were grassroots activists in Southern California before they moved to Arizona and then here. So we had it in our blood, but I had always said we won't ever get involved in politics because it's so ugly. And, uh, and, then, and then I found myself um, working in Republican Party politics, um, going to, I was the secretary for our district for a lot of years. And people would say, will you run? I said, nah. And Jason, you'll get a kick out of this. I, 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 I would say, I, I, I'm not going to run. You have to re- be really smart to serve in the state legislature. Um, and then when you get there, you realize that isn't a qualification. <laughs> yeah. So the, the pool's a little shallower than I thought it was. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it really is a cross-section of America because, yeah. Um, but, okay, so you decide to run. What was the first thing you ran for? Uh, the State House of Representatives. And um, uh, we had a friend who had been districted out, It was, and she said, I'd like you to run. Uh, a bunch of people said we would support you. And, and I said, well, you know, and we pray about it, think about it like you normally do. And we said, well, let's give it a try. And uh, it was an interesting race. And I won the primary, which in this district was, was it. And, um, and then I served in the legislature for 14 years. Because you get termed out in Arizona after eight, and then you can move to the other house. And I did. I moved to the Senate because our senator had been termed out as well. So. And then a, a spot open, right? Was it, help me here, was it Jeff Flake that moved on or was it Matt Salmon? I can't remember how that was, worked in Arizona, but there was an opening yeah. to run in, in the House in for Congress. Yeah, so Jason, the way that worked is it was Matt, Matt Salmon, whom you know well is also, and, and Matt decided he, he just didn't, he couldn't take it anymore, you know. And so I had a daughter that worked for Matt, at the time. And, and he called us up on a Friday night. Cindy and I would go on a date every Friday night. That's a ritual. And he called me up and he says, can I see you tomorrow? And I said, yeah, let's go out to breakfast in the morning. He says, no, no, you need to come to my office. It's a one-on-one. It's a confidential meeting. So I go there and there's uh, him and his chief of staff and me. And, and he says, Andy, um, I've decided that I'm going to retire from Congress at the end of this term. Um, I'd like you to consider running for it. I said, no. And he said, look, here's the thing. He says, every morning uh, I get kicked in the teeth by uh, Republican leadership. And every afternoon I get kicked in the teeth by the Obama administration. And I sleep on a, on, a, on a mattress on the floor of my office every night. Will you please run to take my spot? And I'm like, well, that's a heck of a sales job right there, Matt. That's he was telling convinced. you the truth, though. <laughs> he was telling the truth. He didn't sugarcoat it and say, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, no, he was telling the truth. And, and so... So he asked me if I would run and take a spot, and we we kicked it around. Uh, I mean, and Matt Matt um, was going to keep this on the down low as long as possible, and I and we kept saying I kept putting him off. You know, I can't, I can't decide, I can't decide, and then finally we we felt we should run, 
And but that's how we got into to the congressional race. All right. So you get to Congress and there's this new thing. It's called the Freedom Caucus. Um, yeah. I wasn't in the Freedom Caucus. And the reason I they wouldn't even let me. I still have a bone to pick with them because they wouldn't even consider me <laughs> because I was a chairman. Somehow, because I was a chairman, I was ineligible to be in the Freedom Caucus, which, I mean, it turned out all right, but I always thought that was <laughs> a right. funny rule. Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I'm not sure for all the reasons that that's still, that's still part of the rules of the Freedom Caucus, if you're a chair, which was interesting because um, I was a subcommittee chair uh, my first you know, such first term. I, and so apparently it was just chairman of a whole committee, which I was <laughs> kind of grateful for. But yeah, right. So I joined the Freedom Caucus. Matt had, had been a, co- a co-founder of the Freedom Caucus and so brought me in uh, in his spot. And yeah. it's, uh, it is now sometimes you take you, a lot of heat there. You take. A, so explain that what, what the pressure, you know, I think a lot of people are very curious about the pressure and leaning on people and how they try to, you know, do they coax you do they threaten you do they how do you explain that to people well they do a little of all of what you just said coax and threaten and all that and i've had i've had both of those um so um they will they'll try to stop your money fun, your money uh, coming in too because yeah i mean you have to raise money to be in congress because you have to run campaigns that can be expensive and so what they'll do is is they'll tell uh lobbyists and PACs don't give to this guy he's going to be part of the freedom caucus so that's one thing. Uh, committees, they'll tell you that I was told, uh, I, I said, I'd like to be on Judiciary Committee. I, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer. I've done everything from prosecuting to defending to international law. I said, I, I got, I'm well-rounded. I'm familiar with intellectual property because I had a sound studio. All this, you know, it's, it's my billowick. And they, and they said, you're not going to be on Judiciary Committee because um, you're going to be a Freedom Caucus. I'm like, how does that work? I mean, I thought we wanted the people most qualified. I mean, Jason, you were qualified to be on judiciary. Uh, you know, uh, no, very I smart, very. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I, I was funny because this is. I'm so. I, it's kind of funny you brought this up because um, I've got a great John Boehner story for you. Yeah, and I wasn't oh, yeah. planning to tell you on this podcast, but I'm going to go ahead and tell this story. It's, it's pretty funny. So I get to Congress. There wasn't a Freedom Caucus at that point, but they they knew I was really, really conservative. And so there was a guy who worked for John Boehner, one of his assistants. He called me, and, and, and then I went over and visited in his office. He had a really nice office. And, um, and he said, tell me what committees you're thinking about. And, I, and I, I was really focused on the oversight committee. But I made the mistake, if you will, of saying, look, I really don't want to be on small business and I really don't want to be on science and technology. Not that there's anything wrong with either of those committees. It's just they didn't have the jurisdiction of the things that I was wanted to be involved and engaged in. Well, it gets to be like the night before they're going to do the selections of which committees you're on. And this guy calls me and he says, Jason, I hate to tell you this, but you know what? Um you're not you, you're going to be on science and technology and you're going to be on small business those other the oversight committee and everything you asked for not going to do it and i like i was so dejected andy i i was just like so i took a deep breath and i said you know what i'm going to earn the trust of john boehner i'm going to work hard i know he doesn't know me um but i will work hard and i'll be like the very best member of congress 
and uh, I think I'll earn those spots, and I hope you consider it next time. Well, a few hours goes by, and I don't know what it was, four hours, five hours, something like that, and it's early evening now, and I get a call back from that same staffer, and he said, "Uh, Jason, I have some good news for you. You're not going to be on science and technology, and you're not going to be on small business. You're going to be on oversight, judiciary, and natural resources. And I hadn't even asked for judiciary. And and he said, and I said, what what happened? I mean, how in the world did we make this transition where suddenly I'm going to get these committees? Plus, I get the bonus of being on the judiciary committee. And he said, you know what? That's just John Boehner. He wanted to figure out what kind of ass you were going to be. He wanted to know if you were going to call, complain, cry, call Eric Canner, complain to Kevin McCarthy, you know, do something like that. But you didn't. You didn't call anybody. You were just, you know, uh, I, so he liked that. It was just sort of his way of testing me. Next thing I know, I'm like the junior most person on judiciary. And I, and I said later to John Boehner, I said, how did I get on judiciary? And he said, well, I had to have a token. I can't have everybody on there be uh, uh, be an attorney. And so you're not an attorney. And I thought, yeah, let's put him on there. And I loved that committee. I got, I dove so deep into it. I really did enjoy it. So, But I was not qualified when I first went on there. <laughs> but I figured it out. That's a great committee, uh, you know, and I love being on the committee. And now I'm, I'm on OGR now, which is a great committee. It does have white, broad jurisdiction, but yeah. now that the Democrats, now that the Democrats control that committee, oh my goodness, Jason, we're relitigating stuff, and we're doing stuff that we have no business doing in Congress. Um, yeah. Well, I watch from afar and I'm just like mystified as to what they're doing. And there's so many legitimate things that they could or should be doing. You know, I just, I wrote an op-ed that we talked about earlier in this podcast about how the Department of Justice, when they have somebody who commits what is allegedly a crime by the inspector general, whether it be an AUSA or, or an FBI agent or a special agent in charge, they don't prosecute their own. And that's the that's kind right. of thing that they actually, that the oversight committee and certainly the judiciary committee for that matter should be investigating. But of course, Democrats don't do that. No, you're exactly right. We should have done it when we, when we had control of the committees too. I mean, um, and, and I think to a certain extent we were trying to, it's just that um, most of this came to a head about the time that you were leaving. Right. I mean, uh, that uh, it, it kind of, uh, you know, the Russian hoax really blew up after, after that. We really found out what Comey was all about, um, which was pretty, pretty amazing stuff. But um, yeah, we had multiple hearings with him, but yeah. then we would go back and you'd look through the transcript and you'd really listen to what he said and how he said it. And then you start to add it up and think, wait a sec, this doesn't, these lines don't connect here the way that he said. And, and he would feign, you know, ignorance on certain things. Like we asked him, I asked him very specifically about, um, did you give any immunity out to go through this process? You know, we we're talking about Hillary Clinton's emails back then. Right. Oh boy, I don't know. I, you know, I'm not sure. He knew exactly what those answers were. He was just a professional at testifying. But all right, we're getting off on that. You have been an impact player, certainly there within the halls of Congress. And I just love people who stand up and fight for what they believe in because they believe in this country. And um, and I think you've done that. And, you know, when you go to Congress, you're supposed to represent the people 
of the congressional district. You know, you know, people say, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? I said, well, I, I didn't work for Kevin McCarthy. I didn't work for John Boehner. I, I, I worked for the people of Utah and I won every single election. I never lost a, a, a county in any of my votes or any of the, the, the public tallies that we had. So I think I was doing something right. And, um, it's, it was certainly an honor and a privilege to be there. It's not supposed to be easy. So, you know, I, anybody who's there and out there and fighting and fighting for what they believe in, you know, hats off, tip of the hat to them to, and certainly to you. Well, Jason, you, you did do a great job for, for your district in Utah. And that's, it was recognized by the fact that they kept returning you. And it was, I was, it was great to serve with you. I mean, you know, you were, you were, you, you got the job done. You, you weren't slacking off. I mean, there's, there's some, and you know this as well as I do, that, that you wonder what they do. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. You wonder what right. they do every day. But you were, in there, you were in there fighting and kicking, and, and I loved that about you. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right. We want to get to know you a little bit better. So we got some rapid questions that okay. I don't care how many um, you know, award sweepstakes you've won or how many push-ups you've done. You cannot be prepared for these questions. This just comes right from your ready. gut. All right. You ready? All right. That's why the water's here, in case I need to, to take a break to, before I answer to have the water. All right, ready. so that's my first question. What's your favorite drink? Um, my, truly my favorite drink, I don't drink it all the time, is Paul Newman's uh, Limeade, organic Limeade. Well, I have to try that. I can't say that I've had it. All <laughs> right, best, best movie ever. Oh, my goodness. There's a lot of good movies. Uh, uh, they, they, I have two movies that I watch every year. Uh, North by Northwest, Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, I love that movie. If you haven't seen that, you got to watch it. I've watched that a lot. Uh, that is yeah. a really fun, great movie. I, good choice. Yeah. What was yeah, the other one? Uh, there's a, a series older called the Thin Man series, and it's uh, uh, Dick Powell's in it with Myrna Loy. A great, great movie. Uh, started Man, in the I, 30s. 40s, yeah. I have not been in the thin man category for a long time. I'm going to have to <laughs> I mean, go look that up. That's not something that would dawn on me to say, hey, let's let's think about thin man. All right, now let's go to the next one. Smartest person you know. Oh, smartest person. Um, you know, Joe Biden thinks it's Hunter Biden. So, you know, the world's open well, from there. I think you can probably yeah, do better than that. There. But I, I would have to say... Pretty, Thomas Massey may be closest to the top uh, that I that I know. He's Congressman very, very from smart. Kentucky. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Very smart. Um, that guy. At some point, we're going to have to talk to him because what he's done in building his own home and oh, how yeah. he's done it—it's just fascinating. You kind of have to see the pictures to believe it, but it's unbelievable. Yeah. All right. Uh, first concert. First concert you ever attended. Uh, it was a. It was Natty Bumpo was the name of the band that. Uh, Who? Uh, <laughs> yeah. How old are you? <laughs> <laughs> Natty Bumpo. What? <laughs> Natty Bumpo. And, and and I have uh, never heard of this person. Yeah. No. Nobody. Nobody should have ever heard of this 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 band. I liked them, but uh, you know, it was uh, it was just a. We we got. <laughs> I'm gonna have to. I can't wait to go on Spotify and try to figure out who Natty Bumpo is. Find, you will not find Natty Bumpo on Spotify, my friend. <laughs> All right. Well, that was a, the honest answer. All right. Worst thing you did as a child. 
Oh, oh, I cannot say. Uh, <laughs> you passed the statute of that. limitations. Well, I will, I will tell you a fun one that we did that was not good, not smart, and nobody should ever do this. But um, we took a, a fire extinguisher and filled it with water and squirted um, uh, a bunch of what I would call tough guys. Uh, and, and we were riding it in a four-banger Fiat uh, that was olive green, so you can't miss it, right? And so we, these, these, these guys are sitting on the hoods of their cars. We go driving by. We spray them all with this water and take off. Of course, they're immediately in their cars and chasing us down the street. Yeah, that what was could go for a wrong from there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That was... That that not, was uh, you're right. We not the smartest thing you ever did. Income. All right. First yeah, childhood it. celebrity crush. Oh, well, probably... Um, Probably uh, Eve Plum in Brady Bunch. Yeah. Oh, she was, she was if you Brady don't know Bunch. who Eve Plum is, yeah, shame on yeah. you. Oh, all right. Yeah. I, I buy that. That was a huge although, Brady Although Bunch I fan. quickly switched to Partridge Family and, and whoever that the, the oldest daughter was, she was pretty. Yeah, pretty you know, old. it's funny. Like, nobody knows her name, but I can totally, like, right now, I can picture her in my mind. So, <laughs> exactly. good choice. Exactly. All right. What was your high school mascot? Cougars, the Cougars. You went from Cougars to being Cougars. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favorite vegetable? Oh, my. <laughs> Is there a favorite vegetable? Um, I, I, I don't know. Uh, spinach, I suppose. I eat a lot of spinach. Oh. Every <laughs> single time. Spinach? Andy, you know what's funny? Every single time I've asked this question, I've gotten a different answer. And. <laughs> And I've said this 12 times, but my favorite answer was the first podcast I did with Congressman Madison Cawthorn. So when I said this, he didn't hesitate too long. He said, water chestnuts. And I thought, wait a second, water chestnuts? Those are like, is that that's not a, is that vegetable? a vegetable? I'm not sure that's a vegetable. All right. If you could be the first person to land on Mars, but you would not return to Earth, would you do it? No, I would not do it. No. All right. What's that other thing? And when I say the other thing, people that are successful like yourself, I, what I find is that they have something else that they do that gets their mind off of things. They, they can step away. Like for me, I love doing wildlife photography. I like, mm. I like golfing, you know, and I go do that from time to time. But when I really want to get out and go, I, I camp or, or, you know, just get out in the wilderness. And I like doing wildlife photography. What, what's that other thing for Congressman Andy Biggs? I do music. That's uh, either play the piano, play the guitar, do, do something with music. That's, that's what it is. Oh, good for you. Yeah. I didn't know you had those talents. That's good. Those uh, musical talents, talents have escaped <laughs> me in my life. Fortunately, my wife is really good at playing the violin and she plays a little piano oh. and she's very good at it. And I, I don't have to like walk out of the house when she does it. She's she's pretty good <laughs> at it. But that I, I my role in the music world is listening. That's that's it. Don't don't even pretend to try to sing. All right, favorite James Bond. Uh, Sean Connery. Sean yeah. Connery by 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 a mile. I mean country mile. I mean he's he's by far the best. Iconic. I really, they're trying to get too politically correct now, but I, I don't know. For me, like the holidays, James Bond, I love it when they do 
the marathons of James Bond. I just think they're anyway, just, just fun. Last question, hard question. Who is your favorite former chairman of the oversight committee residing from Utah's third congressional district? That, that, would, that would have to be Jason Chaffetz. That's, it would have to be. There could be no other. I haven't always passed that test, even with those parameters. So I appreciate your generosity, and um, I do appreciate you joining us uh, with Congressman Andy Biggs from Arizona's 5th Congressional District and certainly having an impact on the conservative movement and being a strong conservative voice. And I, I thank you for, for joining us and kind of opening up and uh, and uh, sharing some of those stories about uh, about growing up and who you are. And certainly, congratulations for winning that contest, even though you were the alternate, which I did not know. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. Well, again, I can't uh, I can't thank Congressman Andy Biggs en- enough. Uh, interesting, interesting background. So, uh, time to close things out. But I want to give a little bit of inspiration this time. Um, that I I saw online foxnews.com. There is this I Am Possible Foundation, and they just launched, and they're doing a campaign, a social media campaign. It's called This Is Me. Uh, It's a social media challenge, encouraging others to look beyond their appearances of those that have don't have limbs or have some other uh, thing that their disability that they're dealing with or an illness. So they're asked to create a video and set it alongside the song This Is Me from the movie The Greatest Showman, great show, uh, where they describe who they are and what they like to do and post it on Instagram. You know what inspires me? Ordinary Americans put in difficult situations that accomplish amazing things. And I think this is going to be great. I'm glad it was highlighted. Um, The users are asked to use the hashtag this is me celebration. So hashtag this is me celebration. And I look forward to seeing these because uh, they just, they buoy me up. And uh, it's a good challenge for people that are out there. And uh, look forward to seeing it. And uh, I hope it inspires a lot of people. All right. I want to thank you for listening to the Jason in the House podcast. You can find more from the Fox News Podcast Network over at foxnewspodcast.com. If you like this interview, if you like what's going on with the podcast, need you to hit those stars. Those stars are important to us. Uh, leave a review if you can and uh, rate the podcast. And we'll be back next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Dominich, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Dominich Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.